We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, and joining me here is Don Fox and Andy Lister. They are from IG Private Wealth Management. You can check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com, all one word. Or give them a call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good morning, Scott. How are you? I'm well. How was your summer? Excellent. Fast. Fantastic. I know, I know. I'm hoping for a warm fall. Yeah, I don't know. Nice I feel like too. I need to stretch it out. I know, as, as much as we can. It's like a switch. It sort <laughs> of flipped. Just, yeah, just like winter to summer. There was no spring even. Just, I hear boom. you. I know. It's kind of like when the tax man comes <laughs> and uh, <laughs> takes a bite out of your, you know. All right. We're gonna That's talk. our favorite switch. We like there that. There we go. No, uh, not that he takes the money, but. <laughs> going to talk about first-time home buyers this session. Yeah, we, we did, um, I ran into a number of, a couple of scenarios where clients and the children of clients had asked me about first-time home buyer plan and just an update because back in March 2019 we had a federal budget and the federal budget did a couple of things in terms of improving that yeah, they program. Made some changes, they did. They? Yeah. So if you go back to the original first-time home buyers plan it was the opportunity to take out up to twenty thousand dollars out of your RRSP and there was a number of criteria of course First being first-time home buyer, how long had the money been in the RRSP and a qualifying property and certain timeframes in terms of getting it all done. But at the end of the day, you could take out 20000 have no tax withheld off that amount from your RRSP and put that towards your down payment on your home mm-hmm. and the purchase of a property. And um, so then that process also meant that you had to pay it back mm-hmm. and it would be a 15-year cycle. So yeah. you'd have to pay back one-fifteenth of whatever you took out uh, each year, mm-hmm. or it would be added to your income as taxable. Right. So <clears throat> we know that house prices over the last decade have done what? Gone up. <laughs> They've yeah. gone nothing but up pretty yeah. well, right? I don't think there's even been a, a, a down year yet. Uh, and so as a result, that $20,000 amount didn't really seem to reflect the mm. purchase prices today and yeah. particularly in the GTA, yeah. uh, maybe more so across other parts of Canada. But, um, so the plan was bumped up to 25000 and then in the most recent budget, it was bumped up to 35000 Wow. So 35000 can now come out of your, your plan, and uh, you still have 15 years, the requirement to pay it back, mm-hmm. and that works out to $2,333 a month, or mm-hmm. sorry, a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if you don't pay it back, it's included in your income, and you pay tax on it for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, when I look at clients who have done these in the past, so the old one, 15, you know, with a 15 year repayment schedule, it's, it's surprising to me how many tax preparers aren't really treating the payback properly. And what I mean by that is that I've often, um, had clients that are say maximizing their RRSP and, but they're not applying the amount, the proper additional amounts to the home buyer's plan. Mm-hmm. So often find that um, they put the maximum to the RSP, but they don't put anything against the home buyer's plan. And, right, I, right. and I'm always curious about that because it, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the sooner you can get that paid off you want back, back into in, yeah. your plan, so it's growing. It's growing again for you in terms of managing your own retirement. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then on top of that, it, sometimes it actually makes sense not to pay it back. So that, uh, you know, you may have used it for a house Mm -hmm. and now you're taking a leave for a a child leave. Right. And you may not be unemployed for a year or two or making very little income for a couple of years. Why why just include it? 
Yeah. You know, I add agree. it back to your income and you're paying very little tax, if any. Right. And yet some people still look like it's a bill. Mm-hmm. I owe this much money, so I have to write a check and put it back in. And they're getting no real tax savings doing it that way or, or in the lowest tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So again, tax bracket management comes back into play. It mm-hmm. does, even with something like a home buyer's plan and managing your contributions back to the RRSP as well. So a couple of things have happened in terms of the home buyer's plan as well. And the other one, which I think is interesting, is the first time home buyer's incentive. And the, this is called the FTHBI. First time home buyers incentive. Another acronym. I <laughs> know. I just must remember. <laughs> and um, and in this program, the federal government is going to loan you. It's actually done through CMH, CMHC. Loan you up to ten percent of the purchase price for a brand new home, or five percent of the purchase home. Uh, the purchase price for an existing or resale home. Mm. So we'll talk about some numbers and how that might work as well. So this is done through CMHC and it's called a shared equity mortgage. Shared equity mortgage. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what that means in a second. So what happens and how do you qualify for this first time home buyer's incentive? And the first thing is your income has to be under $120,000. So really the, f- the focus of this is helping out families or individuals that are just getting started mm-hmm. and, but have income below sort of that average, uh, or certainly not a high level of income. You're not required to make any monthly payments on this amount that's given to you as part of your down payment, a part of your mortgage. So no monthly payments, uh, and you pay no interest on this. Sounds good so far, yeah, right? <laughs> and, um, so uh, Basically, the, when you look at it, though, you do have to repay the, the, the gift, the incentive. Uh, you have to repay the incentive either when you sell your home or 25 years, whichever comes first. So if you stay in the property for 25 years, you're going to have to make a payment back to them. So one of the things that uh, the government will then will do is they will participate in, and CMHC essentially participates in the increase or the decrease in the value of your home. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you bought a $400,000 condo in ha- here in Hamilton, and it's brand new, and you're in- entitled to get a 10% incentive on that. So that would be $40,000, right? Mm-hmm. And so down the road, you sell it for 500000 So again, 10% of the value at that point is $50,000. Oh. So you have to give back fifty thousand dollars instead worth. of forty. Oh, so that's that why it's called sense. a shared equity mortgage. Right, right. So there, so you get more money up front, but you have to pay more in the end on the resale. You do. Yeah. So one of the cons, uh, which we're talking while we're talking about it, is that you then you basically you're giving up mm. the opportunity costs on the growth of that money. So if yeah. you thought, you know, if if their home could increase by six percent per year. If the home could increase by six percent per year, yeah. then you uh, you would lose that growth that yeah. would be given back to the government. Yeah. Okay. So on the other hand, if interest, if if mortgage or sorry, if property only grows by about two percent a year, then you're giving back a smaller amount over time. So so do you have the choice between one of these or the other, or can you use both? Uh, you can use the uh, $35,000 you can take out of your RRSP as a right. first-time home buyers. Plus, you can do the incentive. As well. As well. So that could leave you with a down payment of substantially more. Exactly. But here's the deal. It has to be a, CM- a CMHC insured mortgage, which means you can't put more than 20% down. 
So right. altogether, it has to be around 19% or 20, under 20%. Right. Okay. So you can't use the incentive to, you know, to, get, you, to, to get you to 30% right. down. Right. Uh, mm. You can only use the incentive to bring you up to 20%, 20. down. That, okay. That's the matter. So that's really designed for the people who need it. It is designed for the yeah. people that need it. The people that are have not enough to get to that uh, no need for mortgage insurance, yeah. they still have to be a, a CMHC mortgage insurance as well. Right. The mortgage and the incentive, the mortgage, so the amount you borrow plus the incentive you get from the government is limited to four times your income. Four times wow. your income. So I'm going to run through. I'm going to run through a yes, scenario yeah. in a second. Yeah. The minimum down payment is 5% on yeah. the first 500000 so that's the minimum. And the total down payment has to be less than 20%, so it's the CMHC mortgage. So let's take an example of an individual who's earning 100000 a year. So they're now at the point where their, their job is good, their income is good, and they decide to buy a, retail, sorry, a resale home, and they are a first-time buyer. And let's say the home value is $420,000. And so they're going to apply to the home, uh, the first-time home buyers incentive program for the five percent maximum that they can get, which is on four hundred twenty thousand would be twenty-one thousand dollars. So CMHC will give them twenty-one thousand dollars. They will not be required to pay any interest, and they will not have to make any monthly payments on that amount. Right. In addition to that, this individual also had five percent. So they had $21,000 of their own savings. And so now altogether, they've got Mm $42,000. And so therefore, their mortgage is going to be $378. So it's less than the four times their salary, right? So four times their salary was $400,000. The the incentive plus the mortgage is going to be uh, $378,000, okay? So their mortgage payment on $378,000 would be one thousand eight hundred and twenty-four a month, so eighteen twenty-four a month at two point nine percent, sort of a five-year rate mm-hmm. right now. Versus, if they didn't have this incentive program and they just put down the five percent, they would be paying one thousand nine hundred and forty-three dollars, so an additional hundred and nineteen dollars a month by right. not using or not taking advantage of the incentive program. So over the course of the next five years on that mortgage, they're going to save a little over $7,140 from this program by being able to take advantage of it. So it's, um, it, I think the only real, the main con of this is sort of that growth cost analysis to yeah. decide, you know, how much is my house going to grow by over the next 10 years? How long am I going to be in it? And, um, is there, you know, what's really going to be my cost of, of this going forward? As and I is said, that the only way to pay it back? Unlike the other one, which you have to pay 1333 a year, however much, or however much the... Uh, that's a great question. You can pay it back at any time. So there's no restrictions in terms of right. paying it back. It must be paid back when you sell the home right. or 25 years. But right. any time in between that, you can you can pay back any how portion you, of it. How do, how do you determine how much of it you can pay back? Because obviously, if you wait till you sell the home, then obviously it's There's going to be a factor. So there's going to yeah. be a... Yeah. Yeah. Be so so you, can, you could pay back, if you borrowed in this case 21000 you would pay back all 20... You could pay back all 21000 mm-hmm. And then when the house is sold, you would be subject to pay back the additional... Uh, right, the remaining balance between ten percent and what you already paid back. But if you decided somehow you came upon money and you wanted to pay it off early, could you save getting dipped at the other end? 
Uh, that's a really good question. I do not know like the answer because it makes you sense, you right? Picked up an inheritance yeah, without or having to sell your the property next year and say I wanted to pay that off. I guess there would have to be a market like a value. Yeah, there would have maybe to be maybe for the first year. There or would whatever. have to be a market value assessment done right. uh, to determine what the fair market value is right. and how much you would have to pay back right, that right. that five percent rule hmm. or ten percent rule. Wow. So it's a. Um, uh, I haven't had anybody take advantage of it yet. Uh, we've just been exploring it. And the other factor, which I think is an important change too, is if you're a divorcee. So it used to be in the old rules that you were not considered a first time home buyer. If yeah. you've lived in a home, a matrimonial home for five, for the last five, in, within the last five years. Uh, but the rules were amended to say, if you moved into a home as part of a marriage and you weren't on title when that home, when you moved into the home ah. and then you divorced then you could still be considered a first-time home buyer. Uh, but only if you're not on title. If you're not on title. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So a lot of times that happens, yeah. right? But if the title may have been added afterwards, mm-hmm. like you may have changed it after sure. the fact, but at the point of marriage, when you got when you were moved in, you were not on title, then mm-hmm. you could qualify as a first-time home buyer. All right. So great program. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about it, and hopefully people will be able to take advantage of that and get into uh, their own home. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott. Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. I'm Scott Thompson. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Back to school, back to RESPs. Yes, Registered Education Savings Plans. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I just can't say enough about these. It's a great program. It's been long. It's been long in the tooth now. These these have been a long, around for a long time, mm-hmm. but what's still amazes me how little like there's a lot of people that use it but there's a ton of people that don't mm-hmm. and with the price of education only going up every year yeah. at a higher rate than inflation averaging about five to six percent a year education cost for post-secondary and yet you know and and, and wages aren't keeping up summer mm-hmm. jobs for kids aren't keeping up no. to that. you know i know they went and increased minimum wage you know that certainly helps but uh, again nothing compared to with the price of education so you know for a four-year degree at and, and if you live away from the home, you're still, you know, you're lo- looking at north of 20000 per year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so time's up by four years, and there's 80000 yeah. plus. And, uh, you know, f- there's fun in there, too, somewhere. So, there's that, you know, the kids, uh, we always recommend, you know, have a part-time job, whatever. But, again, some of the programs are so difficult, they want to concentrate on their, on their studies. Yeah. Say an engineer degree or a commerce degree or nursing, you know, certain years. Are, are harder. I know in, in commerce, when I went, it was the second year, it was kind of the weeder year. Yeah. Engineering is known for the first year being the toughest. Mm-hmm. So you really don't want to have the kids work that year. Yeah. It's hard enough already without yeah. financial problems. So there's a few ways to do it. And this is kind of interesting. Basically, it, to kind of go back a sec, if you put um, any money into a registered education savings plan, the government will put give you 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you put in $1,000, you get $200. Mm-hmm. Now, the government really does have $7,200 with your name on it. You can't do it all at once though. You have to do it over a number of years. So if you put in $36,000, they will put in 20%, which is $7,200. 
Not a bad deal. And you look at people trying to get scholarships. They'll, they'd go crazy for a $1,000 scholarship. Yeah. Never mind getting $7,200. So kind of the old way of doing it before they change the rules is you could put $2,000 away per year for 18 years. Mm -hmm. And basically you start on the, the day, they have to have a social insurance number. And those are pretty, you know, most times out of the hospital, right out of the gate, they're encouraging that now. Mm -hmm. So it's not a big deal. It used to be, a, well, we got to apply for that social insurance number and they'd wait and wait, wait. Now it's like, okay, kid's born, let's get a social insurance number. Okay, so- Start taxing them right away. Right away. We're keeping track. Get <laughs> them in the system. <laughs> <laughs> and besides that, they're probably going to have some great modeling career like all, all parents know, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Earning it all at five. <laughs> my, yeah. kid's, my kid's the cutest. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, so you go at $2,000 per year, and I know it's not, it sounds easier said than done because there's so many different places to put your money. And, and I'll get to that in a second. But if you did do $2,000 per year, the government will give you $400 mm -hmm. grant. Do that for 18 years. And if you made a 5% rate of return, which would be simply a balanced fund. You know, if you're in equities all that time, you, may, you might get seven or 8%, but you're also taking a lot more risk. Mm -hmm. And you gotta remember education is gonna, when it happens, they need the money. Yeah. It's not like retirement that you can spread over the payments over the next 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. They got four years, they're pulling all this money out. Yeah. So you can't be too aggressive with your investments. So at 5%, you would end up with a, a pot of $67,517. Not bad at all, mm -hmm. okay? That takes care of basically, well, who knows by the time they get up there, but it might take yeah. care of half the education costs anyway. Mm -hmm. Now they changed the rules, uh, I say five or six years ago, where they increased the limit to 2,500 per year. It sounded great when we first heard about this, but it really didn't change much because the grant was still only $7,200. Right. So you can put in 2,500 per year, and once you get to that $36,000 mark, you are now, you've caught up. Yeah. You've hit the limit that the government will match. Mm -hmm. So you put in 2,500 and the government will put in $500 of grant. Now you can do that for 14 and a half years and you've done your 36,000. The nice thing is though, now you've got another three and a half years till they're 18, and it just sits there and compounds for another three years, mm -hmm. three and a half years. And so now, instead of getting 67.5 at the end, you end up with a little over 70,000. Mm -hmm. So another $2,500 by adding this extra 2,500 per year, okay? Um, there is other ways to do it. You could just put a lump sum. Now you're, the limit to an RESP is $50,000, mm -hmm. but you only get matched on 36,000, and it, they only match you on 2,500 per year, and you can go back one year. Mm -hmm. So if your child is now two years old, and you're just starting, you can get one that right now when he's two, or she's two, and you go back to when he or she was one. Right. So you put in 5,000 right now, and get $1,000 back. Right. So you can play catch up with this. That's the best thing about having the increase to 2,500. You've got more dollars per year that you can go catch up. Right. So if the child is now 12, you literally can catch up at the age of 12 and go 5,000 for the next seven years and you'll be all caught up. So the other option, and this is kind of, this is interesting. There's been some talk of why worry about the grant Let's just put the, a lump sum in right at the beginning. And to compare apples to apples, I use $36,000. So instead of waiting for the 36, you know, 2,500 a year, I'm gonna put 36,000 in right at the beginning and let the com compounding magic begin. Now I did say, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We put some in December and we put some in January. So at least they got $1,000 worth of grant. Mm -hmm. 
And if you let, let it sit there for 18 years and you never got any more grant money, you only got a thousand of grant money because you didn't go every right, year. Right. You put it all at the beginning. You end up with 89,000. Because you had more in the, to invest initially. You had more at longer the start, time. <clears throat> longer time to compound. So it really does you know, outperform the other two. Now, that being said, I don't see a lot in going, you know, backtracking on what Andy just was talking about, first-time homebuyers. Junior's born, let's yeah. put 50 grand yeah. in the education <laughs> fund right now. Exactly. <laughs> I have yet to see that person. Yeah. 34 years later, I've never seen this person. Yeah. So hypothetically- Chances are, if you have that, you don't have to worry about the education money anyway. Right. Uh, yeah. It's still nice to get the grant. And wish that when, in that case, I still want to see him get the grant money. Yeah. Now, I, I looked at that and I said, okay, that's kind of interesting. If you got that kind of money up front, why not put 36,000 in a non-registered plan and deplete it by 2,500 a month, oh, uh, 2,500 a year. Mm -hmm. So that way you get the grant all the way through. Yeah, yeah. And you get the best of both worlds. So your money's still making 5% in the non-registered and you gift it. But you're it. contributing out of it. You're contributing out of it 2,500 every year. To the government year, program. To yeah. the government program. Right. And you put it in something earning capital gains. See, if you gift your child um, any money, there's attribution rules. Mm -hmm. And that applies to interest income or dividend income. But if it earns capital gains, you, there's no attribution rules. So you will be getting the full 5% if you put this into an investment that earns capital gains. Hmm. So you put 36,000 in, it should do at least the same 5% because mm -hmm. the same investments, and we deplete it. Interestingly enough, and this is the one the papers never talk about. They always say, well, I'll just put it up front, put it into the RESP and look how much better it is. Well, doing it this way, you actually end up with almost $94,000, mm. which is an additional five, five, uh, dollars more than putting it into the RESP without the grant. Right. So this is kind of getting, having both, having your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You have the money <clears throat> and you're depleting it. Now, the nice thing is, is at the end of this, you've got... $70,000 sitting in the RESP, but you also have $23,000, um, actually almost $24,000 sitting in a non-registered investment. Mm -hmm. So you got money that isn't kind of locked into that right. education plan. And the government's got their- Yeah, it's two separate piles. It's two now. separate piles. Yeah, yeah. You never wore down all that money because it yeah. was growing. So you got this $24,000 that can be used to perhaps get a, a vehicle. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, and there's no tax, uh, there'll be a capital gain, but again, that's tax to the child. Okay. And generally speaking, they don't have a big income and you can put in TFSAs mm -hmm. for the child. There's a lot of different routes you can go with this, using this as a technique. At the end of the day though, the same amount of dollars and you end up with $5,000 more for the kid's education. So if you are one of those that happen to win, uh, say, an inheritance or a lottery, or you're just very well off, and you say, you know what, I've, what's another 36000 I'm going to put into my brand new child's mm -hmm. RESP. <clears throat> um, great. Good for you. But I would suggest weaning it down slowly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, RESP rules, they, uh, you can withdraw the money um, fairly quickly if you like, but the first six months, or sorry, the first term, you can only take out 5,000 of the growth and grant. You can't just cash it all in. Right. They don't want, so in that case of 93,000, anything above the 36,000 is growth and grant. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so actually in, in that particular case, 70,000, because we, we kept some outside of the RESP, but 70,000, basically half of its growth and grant, half of its principal. 
Well, the principal you can take out. As soon as they go to post-secondary, you can take it out if you want. And actually, that's not the child's money. By law, that's actually the parent's money or mm-hmm. the grandparent's money because they're, it's their name. Right. The beneficiary is the child right. who's a student, but you have to show proof of enrollment. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that proof of enrollment, the first term, as I mentioned, is $5,000. After that, you can take it all out. Right. So if you think, ah, I don't know about Charlie, I don't know if he's going to make it past that first year, you may want to pull it all out. Right. Charlie pays a tax on it. And at least you got it out. It's not encumbered. Mm-hmm. And if he does make it a second year, great. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pay it back to the government. Right. Or you don't have to take it out and pay a 20% penalty. Mm-hmm. Or you don't have to put it into your own RSP if you have the RSP room. Right. There's a few options you have, but none of, none of them I like. Okay. <laughs> so if Junior doesn't go to school, you can flip it into your own? You can take the growth portion. Right. And that can get flipped into your own RSP or oh, RRSP yeah, yeah. if you have the RSP room. That's funny. The grant portion always goes back to the government. Right, right. Because they put it on. It was basically a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll give you some money, but you, you got to go, go to school. You got to go, yeah. So I don't mind that, actually. No. But the strategies after they get this money are just as important as building up the money. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen people so more or less blow this because, okay, We've got this $80,000, so we're going to take 20000 each year and take it out for education. And then they only make it to the second year. And th- you've got to understand, this is a business for universities. Mm-hmm. There is a weeding out process. Oh, yeah. They don't want everybody to graduate. <laughs> yeah. They start with 500 in a, in a class, and they work it down to about 250 by the end of it. So we're, what happened to the other 250 mm-hmm. Okay, they know how many people graduate. That's part of the whole deal. And so with that in mind, you have to have an, a pretty good understanding of what your child's going to go through, and you may want to take it out early. Plus, on that, the other hand, as it grows, that money becomes taxable to the child. Mm-hmm. Why not take some of that money and use it to top up their tax-free savings account room every year? Mm-hmm. So when they're 18 right now, they could put 6000 of that money and put it in their own TFSA. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, possibly, you may want to think, of, well, the parents may not have topped up the tax-free savings account room. Well, that the heck with junior. Yeah, all the the principal, <laughs> the, right. the principal portion. <laughs> it's time to pay back. Daddy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Well, the principal portion is actually the parents. Yeah. So the principal portion could go right into the parents TFSA mm-hmm. and start grow same investments, mm-hmm. but it could be growing tax free rather than taxable right. inside the RESP. Right. So is a when we're talking about you know, 70 to $100,000 in RESPs, this isn't chump change. This has now become, wow, it's a lot of money sitting in there. Yeah. What's the best way to manage this so that the <clears> government <throat> doesn't get more than they should or we're, us- we're at risk of losing it mm-hmm. because the child didn't go to post-secondary long enough. Right. Okay. So, and like I mentioned, there is that rule, you can go up to $50,000 lifetime to an RESP. I really rather not see people do that. I think there's better uses for the money where they go non-registered because I don't like to see it all encumbered into this program. Mm-hmm. And then you can get your principal out, but all that growth, all the growth portion, it, it can get double taxed yeah. because if the child doesn't go to university or post-secondary, it, you pull it out and let's say you have no RSP room. And even if you do have RSP room, it goes into your RSP and then when you pull out the RSP, it's taxed. Yeah. Okay. But if you don't have RSP room and you take it out, it's added to your, t- your income for the year plus a 20% penalty to the parents. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a 40% tax bracket, you pull this money, the growth out, you're now paying 60% tax on that growth. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a 50% bracket, you're paying 70% tax on that growth. So again, it's all about managing this pot the most effective and the most efficient way. So at the end of the day, it's looking at the whole picture 
Um, I do look at the, uh, the risk of RESPs. And this is also an interesting conversation because I know Andy and I, we've seen people over the years that invest RESPs two ways. One is, well, it's really safe and I want to hit kids' education and I'm going to put it on money market funds or some, something like a GICs or a savings account because it is a registered education savings plan. Mm -hmm. People put it in savings accounts. Well, they don't earn very much return. No. So yeah. that costs a lot of opportunity costs because this is an 18-year program. On the other hand, I've seen taking the risks way over the top. Yeah. And next thing you know is they lose their money. There, yeah. Okay, they have it into, oh, I'm going to just make this money double. I'm going to go in the tech area now or metals and minerals and look what's doing great now. And it's there long enough. Well, next thing you know is that it's gone down 40% like in 2000 in the tech area. Mm -hmm. And they've <clears throat> kids can't wait for that to return. Yeah. I think one of the strategies that, that has been successful for clients it, with RESP plans is once the child's 18 and they can have their own tax-free savings account, one of the issues that parents often run into during uh, university is creating, um, you know, a monthly cash flow. Mm -hmm. So students living at, in a house now, yeah. and you've decided that they're going to get, you know, a hundred dollars every two weeks, or mm -hmm. t you know, three hundred bucks a month to help offset food costs and transportation costs, etc. So where does that money come from? So a lot of times parents will, you know do e-transfers right. or whatever. And one of the strategies we've used is just setting up an automatic payment. And so when the money comes out of the RESP for the child, putting it into a tax-free savings account and then setting up a systematic withdrawal plan right. from the tax-free savings account will allow them to sort of get an allowance every right. every two weeks, mm -hmm. uh, twice a month or every month. And that just helps budgeting for the child and uh, the student. And, uh, and it's a great way just to have that money sheltered from tax along mm -hmm. the way while they're still taking income from it. And yeah. it can be added, topped up and declined and as they Gives need them it. the flexibility. Yep. Right. And, and really... It, at the end of the day, this is really to help out the child, which is the beneficiary, the student. And it, why does it have to be just the parents that add to this? And I would actually suggest the grandparents are in usually a better position. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to get Christmas gifts or birthday gifts, get them some money and add it to that. And, yeah. you know, still get them some trinket, but they're going to forget about whatever they got there. Yeah. But this money is there as a long-term investment. It will help them out way more than whatever gift you could give them. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. Uh, you can check out their site there as well. Uh, you wanted to finish up with some home buyer stuff. Yeah, just to, I wanted to quickly revisit that because we were talking about it during a commercial and uh, just one of the examples that I think just to sort of put it in perspective, um, it, it, let's say you're able to take advantage of this first time home buyers incentive program from the government and you are purchasing a $400,000 home. And you're entitled, this is a new home, so you're entitled to 10% mm -hmm. from the uh, CMHC, from the incentive program. So you would get $40,000 under the first time home buyer's incentive program. Mm -hmm. And so let's say later on, five years from now, you sell the home for 500000 then you would have to pay back 10%. 
Mm-hmm. So in that case, it's going to be 50,000. So the original 40 that you got is going to mean a payback of 50,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, so certainly the government's making money off real estate. That's, that's kind of the game plan or CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. And, um, but the other factor just to add into that is the value of your renovations. Mm. And it's so often the fact where an individual or couple, you know, you get a home and all of a sudden, you know, you want to, if it's a new home, you're probably going to do some things like landscaping and other things like that, that haven't been done. So the, the reality is that the government participates in that added value. So you don't get the full benefit of your renovations essentially. So let's say you put in a hundred thousand worth of renovations and then uh, you're able to sell yourself, sell your home for a hundred thousand more. You're going to give 10 grand of that back to the government under this program. You also have to wonder what the advantage or disadvantage is once you do sell and move on to a second home. You know, is it, it, are you still behind the eight ball kind of, or how much of a mortgage am I going to have now? Because I've got to come up with that 10% repayment. So I maybe have to borrow more. But hopefully the equity, you've built up some equity, you've paid down the mortgage, so you're going to be in a a stronger position for sure. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to help. I mean, we had a lot of rules around trying to prevent, you know, high ratio mortgages and any kind of real estate collapse in Canada is the real goal. And uh, so the program to help those individuals that may not have qualified before, but now can get in. So it's generally going to be those people that are on the cusp, you know, that, that, that haven't been able to do this. So anyway, that's the first time home buyer's incentive. And um, one of the things that, I just had this conversation this week uh, with a client about marginal tax brackets for 2019. It's one of my favorite topics. I kind of laugh at that, but marginal tax (laughs) brackets are so important. You'll hear, and Don already talked about it today when you're thinking about managing your income throughout the year and how much tax you're going to pay. And particularly with things like, you know, register RSP contributions that reduce your income or anything that's a deduction, how much incentive can you make or how much can you get back from those types of contributions? So today in Ontario, if your income is over $220,000, your taxable income, do you remember what your marginal tax bracket is? 54%. So close, fifty-three, fifty-three, fifty-three point five three. At that up. point, does it matter? <laughs> we round out. You won. <laughs> fifty, almost fifty. We'll give you that one, Scott. Right? Yeah. All right, that's fair. And um, so, you know, you remember what that was a few years ago, right? Like it was around six point four one. Yeah, and it, or it was five hundred thousand. Like you had to oh, earn. Yes, yeah. and you had to earn a lot more money to be in that type of tax bracket. Perhaps today. a change in government might lower that again. <sighs> It's you never know. going to be interesting, right? So that's at the top end, 220000 interesting to know how much money extra they made with that. Yeah, yeah. I know that actually they got less money at the beginning because people knew it was coming. Yeah. But I never heard what happened after that. And I would, I would suspect they got more money later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the low end in Ontario, if you make around $15,400, you pay no tax. And there's a small amount of tax paid on first 20 grand of income in Ontario is 500 bucks. So you're looking at about, you know, 3%, 2%, 2.5%. So it's not very high in terms of overall tax. And um, so that's if you're earning salary or if you're earning interest, Mm -hmm. right? It's all taxed. Or if you had to take money Mm -hmm. out of your RRSP, it's all totaled up and you slot into a tax bracket in Ontario at the low end, you know, zero under 20 grand at the high end, 53 and a half percent at 220,000. 
And I know we've talked a lot about that, that number 220,000, a lot of listeners will say, well, I'm not going to make that much money mm. or I haven't made that much money. So at least I don't have to worry about that. And, mm. um, yet this week when I was meeting with a client whose spouse passed away and we began to look at now, since everything is rolled over to him, what his future tax bill is going to be. And so we're talking about a net worth of now of $5 million for mm. an 83 year old. And uh, the income tax that was likely going to be paid was about one and a half million dollars between the corporations and personal tax. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's a it's not fifty three and a half percent, but on the yeah. marginal amount above that, yeah. it's mm-hmm. substantial. So you know people are really motivated to figure out how to avoid, from an estate planning perspective, how to avoid this high rate of taxation. And, um, and I, I'll come back to the, the little tax and the big tax. When people die, the big tax is the income tax that you have to pay. This is this 53.5% on any income over 220000 So you imagine somebody with a $500,000 RIF. Mm-hmm. The, f- the first 220, marginal tax rates, you pay about eighty grand. Then the next 220, you're going to pay about 120000 right? The 53 and a half percent. And so the little tax is probate tax and that's one and a half percent on the amount. So on a $5 million estate, yeah, you're still looking at about 70 grand, but it's not, you know, one and a half million. Yeah. So you can see the difference, but so don't get too focused on probate planning. Uh, but it is an important factor depending on the size of your estate, but most importantly, you need a plan to deal with the big tax when it comes to your estate. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. As well, you can phone now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. Talking about your inheritance and how not to squander it. Yeah, you don't want to let your kids squander it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting. In the last week, I had a... How will you know, though? Well, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, maybe there are some checks and balances, but I'm not aware of any. <laughs> <laughs> However, you will probably of know... Higher, of a higher order. <laughs> yes. You will likely know because you may know your kids and you're a little concerned about them. But that just to go off topic for one second, my... In the last week, I had a, a client call. Actually, it would be the power of attorney of a client of mine saying, we want to cash everything in because I understand there's an inheritance tax of 53%. And this is kind of what Andy was talking about. So I, and I said, no, okay, first of all, there's no such thing as an inheritance tax. They thought that the, as, as the beneficiaries, they would have to pay 53%. And what happens, just to be clear, and this happened actually twice in the last week, so I thought, well, I bring this up on the air, is that... The, it's almost like on your last breath, you cashed in your RSPs and paid tax on them. Uh-huh. And if you had only $100,000 of RSPs, then $100,000 would be added to your income. Well, in $100,000, you're not in a 53% tax bracket. You may only, on average, pay 25% tax on that. So it all depends on your income on that final year, and it's income tax on your final year, not inheritance tax. There is no inheritance tax. When you can mil- you can actually inherit a million dollars, there's no tax on the person receiving the money as a beneficiary, mm-hmm. okay? Now, the probate tax is 1.5%, which as Andy mentioned, is that small tax. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, so if you had a million dollars in assets, it gets goes to the will, 15,000 goes to this probate fee. 
or pro probate tax. So not again. That's a small price to pay relative. So to let's clarify this. So if your cat, you, you passed away. Yes. Everything's cashed out. Yes. Uh, so your home, any investments that you have, yep. all gone. Right. And now it's all in your hand or somebody's hand. What percentage of it is of that is income tax? What's probate tax? And that's a great. Okay. First of all, the uh, the home would be the principal residence. Right. So there's no income tax on that right. because it's tax-free. So when that now when that gets passed to the beneficiaries, right. it does pay probate tax right. on it. So that's so the 1. probate. So 1.5%. Right. So let's say it's a million dollar home, yeah. 15,000 would go to a probate tax. Right. Okay. The RSPs, they get cashed in, they are taxed. Right. Okay. They are added that's to- That's income. They, that's added as income right. to the uh, to the deceased yeah. final year. The tax-free savings accounts are the best deal in the in the country. Right. Tax-free, and if you name the beneficiaries on the tax-free mm. savings account as your kids, directly to them, no income tax, no probate tax. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the non-registered investments or a cottage or other investments, you have to look at what you paid for them, and what they're worth at death, mm -hmm. and that capital gain. The difference is the capital gain. Right. And half of that capital gain is taxable. Mm -hmm. So if you made a five hundred thousand dollar gain on the cottage. 250 would be taxable. Right, 250 is right. tax free. And uh, that 250 is added to your income. Well, again, not the whole thing puts you over the $220,000 um, level. So part of it would be taxed at over 50%. Right. But a lot of it, to the 90% of it, would be taxed at less than 50%. So it's, it's everything beyond the matrimonial home, so to say. And the TFSAs. And the TFSAs, right. And there's, uh, there's things you can do. And what Andy and I have done with a lot of planning is how do we move the money to the beneficiaries or, or get it ready for an estate plan so mm -hmm. you don't pay that 53 and a half percent and part of that may be gifting the money to your kids early if you are i'm asking questions here sorry okay. um if you are an older person and you've burned through your savings and the last thing you have is the matrimonial home mm -hmm then you don't really f have much of a threat of losing a lot to income. Tax. There's no income tax at that because stage. Because by that time you've, you've sucked everything dry yeah. and the mm -hmm. last, you're mm -hmm. living off the matrimonial. You're home. living off that and yet maybe a reverse mortgage to live right. on. Yeah. Not my favorite choice. What I normally recommend is getting a line of credit, line of credit yeah. way ahead of time though, because <clears throat> you can't get this line of credit when you have no income. Yeah. So you want to get that line of credit in place 20 years earlier yeah. before they run out of money. So you qualify for this line of credit. Right. And now you're getting this line of credit based on your house. Yeah. At prime plus a quarter, prime plus a half, something like that. So you're only paying, say, four and a half percent versus six or seven percent right, right. through the reverse mortgage. And right. you only pay any interest if you use it. Right, right. Yeah, and that's a far more efficient way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, but again, like you said, Scott, it's a matrimony home. You don't pay tax on that. Right. So again, it's everything else, your investments this, beyond that. This yeah. this uh, power of attorney was worried they wanted to cash in all these investments, right. and because they're going to pay half it to the half to the government. And again, they were told this by a friend who was told by another friend, but yeah. unfortunately all these, it was all wrong information. Yeah. So it ends up being almost like that telephone conversation mm. that maybe it started out as the truth yeah. at the beginning. So the telephone game, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but by the, time it, told, yeah. by the time it got to you, it was no longer the truth. Anyway, um, <clears throat> the biggest thing really is, okay, you're, you've got a sizable estate and maybe your kids are maybe just a little too young to inherit, say, a million dollars each mm -hmm. because you want to set them up. You've got this and you know you're, you want to make sure that it's, it's not squandered <clears throat> or your kids are really responsible, 
But what about that person they're living with? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or maybe that son-in-law or daughter-in-law. I don't know about them either. So you may want to protect them from themselves. Right. Because quite often it gets intermingled with their relationship. Yeah. So one thing to do is, first of all, you have to put, you have to get a will done. There is $30 trillion going to be moved over to the next generation soon with all these baby boomers. $30 trillion. It's a massive bump of money going through the system. And I have a feeling that some of that is going to be squandered away. And a lot of these people don't have wills yet. So set up a will first and foremost. Find out who the, obviously the beneficiaries, but the executors and the power of attorneys are. Might as well get those done at the same time. Um, And and maybe you may want to look at a testamentary trust. So you say, okay, I've got a million dollars to my son and daughter. You know what? I don't mind them getting, say, 250 now. Mm -hmm. But the other 750, I want... 500,000 when they're 35 and maybe another 250,000, 250,000 when they're 40. And it will stagger when they receive the money. Um, so moving the money along the chain. So if you have a 25-year-old, 25-year-old kids right now, maybe they get some at 25, mm-hmm. some at 30, some at 35. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it's <coughs> actually not a bad thing. Also gifting money while they're while you're alive, it gives you a chance to show how you can manage the money. Yeah. Teach them no. That's right. Give them some cash. Show them responsibility. And if they blow it, well, you know what? There could be <laughs> you're ramifications. Out of the will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cut off. All right. <laughs> so in, in a nutshell, it, it, it's a teaching thing. Look at the best ways. And at very last resort, you can always set up an annuity with your money. So you got this million dollars, so you know what? I know they're gonna blow it. I'm gonna give them a hundred uh, you know fifty thousand dollar income for the next 30 years mm. and set up an annuity so there's a few ways to skin a cat but again speak to your financial planner and set up this plan we have been planning your financial future i'm scott thompson andy lister and don fox have been here from ig private wealth management call now leave a message 905-529-7165 they'll return your call and check out the website at andyanddon.com thank you gentlemen thanks scott, thanks, scott.